Welcome back, guys. Welcome back. We're back here in Constantinople, waiting for the rest of the, the actual Crusaders to arrive. Hoping the song that we we ended on the last episode is stuck in your head like yeah, it was mine. Yeah, I really hope so. I hope was... you enjoyed the music that I chose for this. That was uh, Kevin McLeod, so I thought it was appropriate. But um, uh, special guest today is Peter the Hermit. No, I wish, but he's dead. Long, long dead, long dead friend. <laughs> but we have if his... he was here, if he was actually here, and you're like, I would have to. We may have to submit his, him for help. Yeah, but his bones are here anyway. They're really not. Uh, I'm talking to an empty chair, like Clint Eastwood. I'm afraid John has <laughs> lost his mind. I'm fine. Shit's getting you, interesting. You knew this when you agreed to be on the show. With it explains me. why you keep hiring and refiring me and rehiring me, and you know. Yeah. But hey, I didn't get fired last time, so I'm remember still here. the the days really young. We're recording this on the same day that we recorded the Peasants' Crusade, so we're going to get through this as quickly as possible. Because, <laughs> fun fact, neither of us really like the Crusades that much. I'm fine with the Crusades. I enjoy it. It's actually an interesting part, but yeah, we're definitely not into ancient or medieval. I mean, I shouldn't say that I don't like them. I just don't know much about them, and it's not my fr- my, my preferred area of history to explore. I mean, I'm learning things, though, so that's like the, yeah. that's the success. It's not my preferred area as well, but you should have seen us kind of being f- frantic that the Roman Empire might win the poll. It's not fucking happening. <laughs> Don't vote for it. It's not happening. I'm not doing We're it. We're not doing it yet. We will do it eventually. I'm going to make... Why put a caveat on that? We're just not doing it. Oh, I guess we have, probably have to do it. We have... To, it's pan... Historia, we do all. You mean we history. can't just selectively choose which history we do? No, we can't do God that. Damn it! We can't do that to the viewers. Well, then I quit. I'm kidding. I, you I can't don't. quit. You I can only get out of this if I fire you, which I haven't done yet. Fuck. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> let's just continue. That sounded like very slave master shit, <laughs> but let's was. just move on. Yeah. So anyway, we're talking about the ancients. It was a thing. Yeah. This is the the first Crusades, as you all knew, or the first Crusade rather. Uh, it was also known as the Princess Crusade because these were all princes that participated. Mostly princes. Went from peasants to princes. Went from, yeah. But yeah, remember, this is the actual crusade. This is what everyone was expecting. Not a bunch of filthy peasants. <laughs> this is what Alexius was like actually hoping for. Not... Damn filthy fucking peasants. <laughs> anyway. Um, <laughs> so we have our... We're, we're setting the stage now. We got to start off with the cast of characters. There's a lot more of them this time, so bear with me. Take notes. Take notes. <laughs> you might have to, actually, in this one. There is what is known as the Imperial Contingent, which were the Germans. They were led by a, a pair of brothers, Godfrey of Boulogne and Baldwin of Boulogne. <laughs> well, two different. They, they sound similar, the names of the, the cities, but they're different. <laughs> That's how fucking confusing this is. Uh, This is actually quite awkward for them to be joining the crusade because Godfrey had actually helped oust Urban out of Rome, if you remember. He was one of he was part of a group in the Holy Holy Roman Empire that helped chase Urban out of Rome and back into France, and they supported Clement the Third. But they're like, you know what? Fuck it, we're going to do this crusade. Then there's the Italian contingent led by Beaumont of Taranto, not Toronto. Damn it. Taranto. And along with his nephew, Tancred of Hoville. I think that's how you pronounce it. 
here's where the, it gets it, almost all of these people have something awkward about them. What's awkward about Beaumont and Tancred is both of them gain their experience in combat fighting the Byzantines. They can't beat him, join him, I guess. <laughs> they fought directly fought against Alexios. So, like, if you can't beat them, join them. Yeah. They're also the smallest of the armies, but they're also the best equipped and the most experienced. Then there is the northern French contingent, led by Hugh of Vermandois, Stephen II of Blois, Robert II of Flanders, and to make things even more fucking confusing, Robert II of Normandy. So I'm going to be referring to them as Robert of Flanders and Robert of Normandy. Trying to keep it a bit simple. Hugh was the brother of French King Philip I, who had been excommunicated by Urban for adultery. Awkwardness continues. Actually, we managed to get through the Peasants' Crusade without being too awkward ourselves. So let's hope all that keeps going. We'll I, just let the other people be awkward yeah, for us. It's going to be an awkward time. Now, Robert of Flanders and his family... There was nothing awkward going on with them whatsoever. They fought on the side of Alexius Komnenos during the attacks on the Byzantine Empire. So he's like, he was in good favor with Alexios. And then there's the southern French contingent, who was led by Count Raymond IV of Toulouse. And along with him was Adhemar Lepuy. If you remember from the last episode, Adhemar was chosen as the representative of Urban. And he was part of the largest of the crusading forces. And so Raymond kind of saw himself as the leader of the crusade. And what makes that awkward is that Adamir was with him. And Adamir was actually the chosen leader of the crusade. Super cringy. All of these guys had their own, had super massive egotistical issues where... Some were better than others. But the one who actually was, I would definitely say, was the Jon Snow of the story, if you say. So the best of the best was Tancred. He was just a young kid going, wanting to learn, go on a new adventure, grow up. That's a, that's a way to do it. Yeah, that's so... It's a hell of a way to grow up. And he wanted some mentorship from his uncle. Each of these people decided to get to Constantinople in their own way because of various different geographical reasons. For example, the German and Southern France contingent, they went just by walking or on horseback. It's a long-ass walk. The funny thing is uh, when Godfrey and Baldwin made it to Hungary, the governor of Hungary was like, oh, fuck, no, not more crusaders. No, fuck off. To be fair, he had a real shitty experience the first he time. He had a if you remember, real he had shitty good experience. reasons to not like these, but he didn't realize that these were more disciplined men. These were like the actual crusaders, not yeah. the... Frat boys before them. And Godfrey was like, Godfrey and Baldwin were like, listen, please, just let us, let us through, please, please. So finally, the Hungarian governor says, okay, fine, I will let you go free. Go through Hungary. But I'm keeping your brother and your family hostage while you go through Hungary. So that was, so he's like, they're like, okay, yeah, that's fine. Baldwin was kept as a, as a hostage. In case the Crusaders got out of hand. And apparently they managed to make it through all of Hungary with only a minimal amount of looting. <laughs> Better than before. Again, this, this, this was, these guys set off in the, at the right time. They were well provisioned. They were well armed. They had a lot of, plenty of food, plenty of resources. 
they didn't really need to. I mean, they kind of did, but not to the definitely nowhere near the extent. Raymond went actually traveled ahead of his army. So because the, his army was kind of leaderless, they did get into some pillaging where they were captured by the Byzantine forces and escorted arm, uh, under armed guard to Constantinople mm -hmm. without any further incident. Bohemond's forces, they traveled across the Adriatic Sea in ships, and then they marched all the way through the Balkans, looting and pillaging the entire countryside. Well, of course they yeah. did. Did anyone expect anything less? Well, the thing about Bohemond is that's where he was fighting when he was fighting the Byzantines, so he just is adding insult to injury. Hugh also traveled across the Adriatic, and he lost several of his ships in a storm. Hugh is by far the biggest egotists of them all because you gotta remember Hugh is just a prince and this is what he he sent a letter to Emperor Alexios emphasis on Emperor he said this this is part of his letter no Emperor that I am the king of kings the greatest of all beneath the heavens it is fitting that I should be met on my arrival and received with prompt and ceremony appropriate to my noble birth so it's needless to say, Alexius didn't really like Hugh all that much. Apparently not. No. That becomes important later. Robert of Flanders also, he traveled across the Adriatic. And interestingly enough, he traveled during the winter. He didn't lose a single ship. Not one. He was the only one of the crusaders who entered Constantinople without any pillaging and any... <laughs> No looting or pillaging whatsoever. He was the only one. <laughs> he made it all the way through. <laughs> he deserves a prize. Like, he he does. Deserves a prize. He really does. Uh, meanwhile, Stephen and Robert of Normandy, they waited in Italy. They decided to wait out the winter because it was, they just thought it was way too dangerous. When they eventually crossed in the spring, they lost one of their ships. <laughs> yeah, whereas Robert of Flanders lost none. And he went over during the hectic winter time. A bunch of uh, Stephen and Robert of Normandy's men were not happy about having to wait in Italy during the winter. So they actually just gave up and went home. As for the ship that was lost, a lot of the troops and the supplies were able to be fished out of the Adriatic by Byzantine ships and brought into the Balkans. So now everyone's in Constantinople. Here we go. <laughs> Alexios was smart. He trusted none of these people because he knew about them. He knew their reputations, especially Beaumont. <laughs> they had, like, like uh, in true Pan historia fashion, I think we should say they had beef. They did have beef. They did have beef. So much so beef. Much beef. Alexios, uh, he's decided to meet with each and every one of them individually. His plan was to have them swear an oath that they would return every previous Byzantine territory back to the Byzantines. First, he decided to meet with Hugh, the man who boasted about being an angelic figure on Earth. And Hugh immediately caved. Immediately just knelt down and said, I'll take the oath, I'll do it. I'll do it. Like, it turned out... <laughs> Um, as one source said, he was a bit of a pushover. <laughs> no shit. <laughs> kind of seems that yeah. way. Just a thought. And then Godfrey, fucking guy as he is, actually refused to meet with Alexios. Just wouldn't do it. 
didn't answer any of the calls for him to come to the palace, nothing. So Alexis asked Hugh to go talk to Godfrey to try and convince him to talk to Alexios. But Godfrey refused to meet with anyone less than the Emperor. Well then. I know. That's, so it's obvious that that's this... That's some ego. Yeah, let's just let that sink in. Let that completely sink in. Emperor Orbus. So Alexius is like, okay, fuck it. And cut off the supply of food that he was giving to Godfrey and his men. Probably deserved that. Okay, Godfrey's troops got in a bit of a fight with the with the Byzantines. And they lost. So Godfrey was basically dragged before Alexios and just immediately caved. Because he was starving. He's like, yeah. fuck, I got my ass beat by these guys. Okay, fine. I get, I'm sorry. I give up. <laughs> Alexius was preparing for some for a fight with Bohemond because of the previous beef. And then something surprising happened. Bohemond immediately said, yeah, of course I'll give back your territory. And Alexius was like, Suspicious. What? And then he, he just agreed to take the oath, but he said, could you make me the leader of the Crusades, since I'm the most experienced. And Alexius did that whole thing of, you know what, come, come with me. And took him to a room full of wretches, and Bohemond immediately <laughs> agreed to take the oath. <laughs> um, Money and, talks? Yeah, so he got a bunch, he got extra provisions because of that, like just to shoo him away. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, when Raymond met with Alexios, he actually refused to take the oath because he said, my loyalty is to God. My duty is to God. But Raymond said, what I will agree to is an oath of brotherhood, saying that we're on equal terms. And Alexios is like, all right, yeah, that's good enough. But I'm not giving you shit because you didn't take the oath. So, Which I mean, like, on Alexios's part, makes him look kind of shady. I mean, he's an emperor, so obviously. But, like... Um, I mean, if the Crusades are really about reclaiming Christian territory, like, shouldn't your oath actually be to God and not? Well, Alexius wasn't, that wasn't Alexios's, Alexius wasn't part of retaking of Jerusalem. He sent Urban the request to help him take back Byzantine land. But still. I know, but what can you do? I mean, he's an emperor, so he's it, it really expected. It worked. He got Raymond to agree to him. Raymond was a very deeply religious Man, I should let you know, deeply religious, devout to God. He was missing an eye. And he actually was, he was also the eldest of all of those. He was really, he was quite old. Um, And he actually said that he, his dream was to die fighting in the Holy Land. Will that happen? We don't know yet. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. Um, Now, considering Stephen's ties to, previous ties with Alexios... He just said, yeah, of course, I'll take the oath. Well, I'll make sure you everything's given back. And that was it. He was given riches and sent across the street. You remember Peter? Oh, do I remember Peter? Yeah, Peter was still in Constantinople. Just hanging out. So I guess you joined with the rest of the crusade. Peter! <laughs> this is what he there actually wanted. <laughs> Once these people had uh, given their oath, they were ferried across the Bosphorus by the Byzantines. Here's the funny thing is when they got across the Bosphorus, they were expecting immediate resistance from the Seljuk Turks. When they arrived there, there was no one in sight. 
no one, no Turkish troops were around, nothing. And they're like, this is like something's wrong. So they're ex always on their toes, toes. They were super paranoid that they were about to be attacked at any time. They were not in any danger because they're the Turkish leader of the Sultanate of Rum, Kilij Arslan. He her, had been told that the Crusaders had landed, but he's like, oh, you mean like the last guys that we fought? Oh, we'll be fine. Don't worry about it. They'll they'll just end up killing each other, not realizing that this was an actual prepared and trained army. Because of their lack of knowing what to do, the council of princes, they met and they decided to take the city of Nicaea because that would be opening the whole territory to help supply troops and supplies all the way to Jerusalem. And it was also a very symbolic location because if you remember, we talked briefly about the Great Schism. It was at Nicaea that the Council of Nicaea happened and where the Great Schism actually happened. It was also the capital of the Sultanate of Rum and home to the Sultanate, Sultan's family and his riches. So it was extremely important. It was also a very major former Byzantine stronghold. So the Byzantines really fucking wanted it back. So the Crusaders marched towards the city and Godfrey took the lead on the siege. And when they arrived, they had no resistance all the way up to Nicaea. They didn't find a, fight a single person, single Turk. So they managed to get to Nicaea without fighting. So they took up siege positions and they actually nearly starved themselves. But Beaumont actually managed to secure supplies from the Byzantines. Kilajarslan suddenly realizes, oh shit, like this is actually a problem. These crusaders are the real deal. And he sends a relief force to break the siege. The thing about Turkish infantry versus European infantry is European infantry, like the, the mounted knights, heavily armored, the horses are heavily armored, whereas Turkish infantry are lightly armored, or not infantry, uh, cavalry, are lightly armored, and so they can move a lot faster. Yeah. And just have more, a lot more momentum. As They're a result, they're also, also probably riding smaller, faster horses. Probably, yeah. He immediately charged the crusading, the, the crusade's lines, but... They were unable to do any damage because of the aforementioned heavily armored cavalry. By this point, Arslan realizes these guys are the real deal. He has nowhere near enough troops. Because of that, he just leaves Nicaea to the mercy of the Crusaders. And so Nicaea is left on its own. The siege lasted over a month and Nicaea still wasn't falling. It wasn't starving and they're like, oh shit, what are we going to do? So why wasn't Nicaea starving? Well, because it was a port city on a lake. <laughs> it was being resupplied at night by Turkish ships coming into the port. Kind of hard to siege a city that's yeah. not actually completely enclosed. It was known as Lake, lake Iznik, also known as Iskani, Iskania. The Crusaders had a plan, so they asked the Byzantines for help, and the Byzantines came up with a really clever idea. They sailed ships to Kivito, got them up on land, on land and then rolled them across to the lake and then set them sail again in the lake and then were able to block the supply lines from the port. Of course, Nicaea began to run out of supplies. Their morale was low. They were surrounded completely. I feel like morale is all often low when yeah, you're being seized. Absolutely. Well, that's the main thing is you either starve them. Or you just kill them. You kill them. Yeah. 
So they just lose their morale. So they began negotiating with the Crusaders, but while they were negotiating, the Crusaders were also still periodically attacking the city. So it's kind of weird. So you'd be you'd be in a tent negotiating, and then a few hundred yards away, they're attacking the they're attacking the walls. Well, Alexius didn't want Nicaea to fall into Crusaders' hands, so he actually sent secretly sent an envoy to go into Nicaea and negotiate. And the agreement was the guards were to let the Byzantines into the, and take the city mm-hmm. in exchange for the guards to be let go and the Sultan's family to be given free passage back to their own territory. And he would also prevent the city from being plundered. So one day the Crusaders wake up and all of a sudden the Byzantine, uh, the Byzantine banners are flying over the city and they're like, wait, what? So the, the Crusaders were not in on the Byzantines taking the city. But that's because Alexius was smart and was like, I do not trust these guys whatsoever. Yeah. They're going to pillage and plunder the city. They're going to kill a lot of people. They're slightly better than frat boys. Yeah. So then what happened? But he quickly calmed everyone down because he's like, no, look, here's some more riches. Money. Here's some more food, more supplies. Making it rain. And he also let, yeah, basically, he also let uh, Crusaders into the city in groups and under strict armed guard yeah, to prevent anything. So there's actually nothing awkward happened at Nicaea. He learned some lessons. Yeah, he did. If he didn't learn any lessons, then he would not be a good emperor. And Hugh might have been right. <laughs> yeah. Emperors are famous for making poor decisions, yeah. though. It's true. It's true. Are you really an emperor unless you made a really poor decision that cost a lot of people their lives? None would admit it, but yeah. They t- the Crusaders took a rest at night on the outside of Nicaea in order to restock their food and their armor, and then set off again on June 26th. This is still 1096, by the way. 1096, 97, something like that. The armies... It's ten, sorry, it is 1097. Forgive me, people. 1097. In order to save supplies and not completely diminish them between everyone. They actually split the crusading forces in two. So Beaumont, Tancred, and Robert of Flanders went ahead of the rest of the group to the plate, the town of Doralaeum. After four days march, they managed to camp outside of Doralaeum, which is where they were going to go to next. Well, at the break of dawn, the crusaders were awoken to the sound of Turks rushing into their camp. These are cavalry. The fast fucking cavalry. Not a super comforting sound. No. But, and not only, these, the thing about Turkish cavalry is they were also super, super skilled in uh, using a bow and arrow. So they, they could, they were able to ride, fire their arrow at the same time and hit people. A bunch of the crusaders were either struck by arrows or cut down before they can mount onto their horses. Beaumont attempted to charge the Turk, the Turkish uh, line, but because they were so, they were too slow, they could not catch up to the Turks and they were just being cut down by arrows. So Beaumont, in desperation, he ordered all of his troops to dismount, lock shields, protect any, protect any of the civilians they had with them and just form a circle and just hold. Because they were way more heavily armored than the Turks were and they could hold. Arrows just poured down onto the shield wall. Soldiers and civilians were being cut down by either one of them, but they kept holding. So what they did with the shield walls, they would have one group in front holding the shield in front of them, and then a group behind holding their shields up, forming a, a ceiling. 
so that any arrows attempting to get inside would be hit by the shields. The knights managed to hold without breaking for eight hours. Eight fucking hours they were dealing with this. They were losing morale pretty quickly, but then a bunch of the bishops and priests that were in the circle being protected started to sing. And and because of that, the civilians started to sing, and therefore... They made a lot of noise. Well, they made a lot of noise, but it also was comforting to the soldiers and it boosted their morale, mm. re- reminding them God is protecting us. They held for eight fucking hours in the summer heat, I should remind you, in fucking Anatolia. Yeah. They sent a mess word back to the rest of the forces saying we're under attack. So Godfrey and Hugh took a bunch of their men and marched, like, charged forward ahead of everyone else. And they reached the crusading line and reinforced the line. And then eventually Raymond arrived with his knights and they looped, they, they took the Turkish forces by surprise and smashed into their line, cutting a bunch of the Turkish cavalry down. And when this happened, Beaumont and Godfrey ordered their knights to, to mount up. And they, they apparently said a very interesting phrase, which, which was, today, if God be willing, we'll all be rich. Yeah. Arslan led his forces up a hill and began defensive maneuvers, which they were able to hold off. But then yet another force led by Adamir Lepuy, of all people, attacked the Turkish camp. And because of that, the Turks routed. They were gone. It is a miraculous battle. That's why I call it the Miracle of Doralam. There is no way that the Crusaders should have survived but they did it just shows that the power of like what how powerful morale and will can be when it comes to yeah, battle absolutely. mind over matter sometimes actually a lot of the time most of the time definitely <laughs> unfortunately dora land was worth the the crusaders kind of started losing the plot the Tur- the retreating turkish forces while they were defeated they actually knew this wasn't the end and they started stripping the countryside of everything Destroying crop, destroying trees, destroying water supplies. They were destroying wells or poisoning the wells. They were destroying bridges. And you got to remember, this is in the middle of the summer in a desert. Very dry, arid desert. Yeah. So many people died from thirst. And the thing about hunger, you can go days and days and days without eating, but you can't do it without water. You need water. Unfortunately, there is not very much water. So they suffered until they reached Iconium. And there is plenty of untouched water that they could use to just take buckets full and just douse themselves in it. Restock their water supplies and move on. But while they were in Iconium, the princess decided to meet. And they weren't sure if they should go through the quicker but dangerous route over the Tarsarus Mountains. Or through the longer but rather easier and awkwardly named Anti-Taurus Mountains. So they weren't sure which one would be best. So they decided most of the group would head through the Anti-Tarsarus. Anti-Taurus, excuse me. Through the Anti-Taurus Mountains. And in the meantime, Tancred and Baldwin went through the Taurus Mountains. Tancred only had a small force of 100 troops because in order to maintain supplies and whatnot. Baldwin, being the person he is, took 2,000 of his troops. Tancred was 
in the lead on the march, and he came across the city of Tarsus, and he knew he would not be able to hold up a siege with a hundred men. So he actually sent an envoy back to his uncle Bohemond to ask for more for some reinforcements. But while the message was being relayed, Tancred had an idea. And what he did is he he had his troops set up as if they were preparing for a siege, spread them out, sent word into the into Tarsus saying, I'm just a small bit of a really large crusading army, so you might as well just let me enter the city and take the city. So the Turks, act, and during the night, the Turkish garrison fled into the hills and Tancred just walked in and took the city, put his banner up on the city and that was that. Well, here's the thing. Baldwin, when Baldwin arrived, he saw what Tancred had done and he went, I'm very impressed, but guess what? I have 2,000 troops to your 100, so give me the fucking city. Knowing he had no options, Tancred just gave Baldwin the city and left. Well, when the reinforcements Tancred asked for arrived, they saw Baldwin's banner over the city and they were like, what? And here's the worst thing. Baldwin didn't let them into the city and said, no, you have to camp outside. They set up camp outside. The unfortunate thing that no one really realized is that those Turkish forces that fled were still in the hills waiting. So during the night, they swept into the valley and slaughtered the reinforcement army. So in the morning when everyone woke up, it was just bodies all around the city. Needless to say, no one was happy with Baldwin, and it sent people into a near riot. What happened was Baldwin locked himself into the, in the citadel and refused to come out. He's like, I'm going to wait until you guys chill. It's, it's just, 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 just chill. Meanwhile, Tancred was still marching along, and he had actually managed to recruit local Christian Armenians who had no love for the Turks to their side. And these were not just like regular peasants and whatnot. These were actually... A lot of these were trained armed guards for different garrisons for the Turks. So he managed to boost up his men quite a bit. Plus the survivors of the reinforcement army showed up and had told Tancred of what had happened, what Baldwin had done. So Tancred was not happy. He was able to conquer the next town over. And when by the time Baldwin arrived and attempted the same trick, Tancred was already prepared for this managed to entrench himself in the city and refused to let Baldwin and his army in and said, no, you get the sleep outside this time. Fuck you. So, of course, Baldwin's like so far up his own ass that he can't understand why Tancred's being so mean with him. Some of Tancred's forces didn't think that that was enough of a punishment. So they actually rushed into Baldwin's camp during the night and took out vengeance against Baldwin's men. So after this, Baldwin just kind of wandered away. He just gave up on the crusade and wandered further and further in it out of Anatolia. He ended up meeting a king who had no son of his own, convinced the king to adopt him. Then suspiciously, the king was assassinated. So Baldwin became the king and he reclaimed the county of Edessa, which was the first crusader state. What's further awkward about this? Edessa was, an, was originally a Byzantine state. Did he give it back? Nope. No. Why would you do that? <laughs> so, no, Find, finders keepers? Nope, it's, yeah, basically. But Baldwin never returned to the crusade. He stayed in Edessa. He's I mean, like, to be fair. If he got what he wanted. <laughs> I'm a king now, bitch. Well, I'm a count. But, Close enough. <laughs> yeah, but the county of Edessa was formed, the first crusader state. There would be more to come. 
by far what is probably the most significant battle in the entire crusade, the first crusade is the siege of Antioch. In short, Tancred reunited with the rest of the crusaders and they were pretty worn out. And quite a few of them died because it turns out while the anti-Taurus anti mountains were easier, they weren't that much easier. It was like going from going going from nightmare difficulty to very hard difficulty. <laughs> That's how much easier it was. Uh, also, they had to abandon a lot of their horses and their armor in the mountains in order to get through them. Well, they reached the city of Antioch, which is a major fortification city that after this, they would be easy pickings all the way to Jerusalem. It was the last major obstacle between them and Jerusalem. The Crusaders did not have enough people to block off every single entrance. So they just chose what they saw were the main entrances and, and besieged them. There's a couple more open. One was just kind of in an open field and then one was up a mountain. So it'd be much harder to get supplies up through a mountain. It wasn't the, it wasn't the Antioch that started to starve. It was the Crusaders. So Beaumont and Robert of Flanders, they decided to take some soldiers and go foraging through the countryside just a bit north. Well, while they were doing, while they were foraging, they ran into a massive Turkish relief army and just both were not expecting to run into each other. So it was a, there was a bit of silent staring before the Crusaders got out their weapons and just charged at the, at the Turkish forces. And even though they were so, they were much, much bigger than the Crusading forces, the Turkish forces were routed and actually did never made it to the city. But on the other hand, the Crusaders lost every single bit of foraging that they gained. So the Turkish knew that they were like, well, we're definitely, that was a disaster, so they just gave up and went home, leaving Antioch completely open. Well, months of months go by, and things are not going well in Antioch for either side. There are many things that people saw as divine signs. There is a massive earthquake, uh, and there were, people saw comets, and aurora was seen in the sky. So several of the, many of the crusaders, like all of them were very superstitious and saw this as bad omens and they deserted and went home, including Peter. <laughs> Shocking. He's pretty good at that. Yeah. But Adamir Lepuy actually ran back, like ran after them and dragged most of these people back, including Peter. He's like, you're not getting out that easy. Morale for the Crusaders are quite low, but then Adamir comes up with a really great idea and he orders a fast, which not only will improve morale because he says it will regain the favor of God, but it also helps save provisions. Rationing. Yeah, and it actually works and they're able to hold out out until spring. There was a small Byzantine force there, but what? But Beaumont did something kind of cunning and also kind of asshole because that is Beaumont. He started spreading rumors that there was a plot amongst the Crusaders to kill the Byzantine leader. And this led the Byzantines to just pack up and leave. Well, Beaumont said, this means that the Byzantines are traitors. They've gone back on their oath. And therefore, I do not have to, f I'm therefore relieved of my oath to Alexios. Uh, there was more bad news for the Crusaders because there was a word that another Turkish relief force was approaching way larger than any of the others. Beaumont says, okay, I'm going to, I will leave this crusade and leave you guys to your own devices unless you let me 
when we take the city, it's my city. The remaining forces are not very happy with this idea, but they have no other choice. So they agree to it. Beaumont manages to find an Armenian guard at one at his gate and bribes him. So at night he helps Beaumont's troops up onto the wall and they open the gate and crusaders just flood into the city and they kill everybody they come across. And you got to remember Antioch, there's a lot of fucking Christians in Antioch. But they don't care. There's no telling between who's Muslim or Christian or Jew or anything else. I mean, not that it would matter anyway, but they just began an indiscriminate slaughter on the city. Unfortunately, the Turkish relief force arrives and they begin besieging Antioch. So the tables have turned. And the those leaders, the leaders of Antioch that were in the city, they fled up to the citadel on the top of the hill and be, were themselves besieged in the citadel by those besieged in Antioch by the Turkish forces. There is no getting out. Stephen, we haven't mentioned Stephen much, but they decided to send Stephen. I was going to say there's a Stephen in this, what? <laughs> you, you, do you not remember Stephen? I already lost him. He was brief. He was I briefly. have not been taking my notes like you all should be. You already, Stephen of Blois. Oh, right him. Yeah. That's Stephen. Forgive me, Stephen actually abandoned the crusade. And here's the worst part. He well, While he's abandoning the crusade, he runs into a Byzantine relief force and says to them, all hope is lost, we're done for, we're surrounded, Antioch is going to be our doom. And because of that, the Byzantines decide they don't want to risk their troops, and they pack up and leave. The thing is, when Stephen ends up back in Europe, he ends up being um, ridiculed for the rest of his days for abandoning the crusade. So now the crusaders are once again, they're starving. And they're, they're not, the morale is low, they're on the brink of surrender. Well, suddenly a mystic by the name of Peter Bartholomew... Claims to have had a vision of St. Andrew revealing the location of what's known as the Lance of Longinus, which was one of the lances that stabbed Jesus while he was on the cross. And he says it's in one of the local monasteries here. Of course, everyone's skeptical, but they begin, they're like, well, if we'll begin an excavation anyway, because it'll be a distraction. They start excavating and just in the center of this monastery. And just as the, the people digging give up, Peter Bartholomew jumps into the excavation site and starts digging with his bare hands and all of a sudden holds up a sharp piece of metal, a, a head of a lance piece, and says, I found it. It's the Lance of Longinus. We have it. This is a good sign. Well, all of the princes and Adamir know it's bullshit because Adamir is like, we already have the lance in Rome. On the other hand, all of the other troops are in awe and are like, oh my god, this is a good sign. So Raymond, in his cunningness, actually pretends to believe that this is the Lance of Longinus, saying this is a sign that we are, will be victorious. So he and his troop, with the Lance of Longinus on a new stick, like made, made into a spear once again, they march out of the city with the Lance of Longinus in hand and begin attacking the Turkish forces. They were able to rout the completely disorganized Turkish forces. And because of that, every single one of the Turkish force, Turkish forces garrisoned at the city ran. The reason why this was is because each of the Turkish forces that were there were under the command of a different sultan. So they did not have any organization. They were pretty much just as or more so disorganized than the actual crusade armies were. Now with the Turkish forces gone, 
Beaumont raises his banner over Antioch and declares himself Prince of Antioch. And yes, again, Antioch was a Byzantine city. And yes, Alexius wanted it back. <laughs> no shit. Now begins the, the really... point. The point for him wasn't really to lose territory. Nope. <laughs> it's kind of the opposite. I'm fucking Beaumont. So, yeah, Alexius was right not to trust Beaumont, of all people. Here's where the really dark times began for the Crusades. The This was in July 1098. They had been in the city for weeks, and the princes were constantly bickering, constantly arguing with Beaumont. Because Beaumont, according to him, he owned Antioch. He was the prince of Antioch. The others were like, you made an oath to Alexios that you would give it back. And he's like, nope, they left. I Therefore, they broke the oath. I'm not abiding by it anymore. Another problem was that a sickness actually swept through the city, which made Raymond sick. And of all the things, it killed Adamir Lepuy, which was a huge blow to the Crusaders because it was Adamir who was able to keep the Crusaders from killing each other. He was always the one who was able to mediate between all of them and come to have all of them come to an understanding where they didn't end up splitting. Well, now he's dead. Beaumont is not budging, and they end up sending Hugh back to Constantinople in order to attempt to get Alexios to send relief and rejoin the crusade. Alexios is not having it. He's done with this whole thing. He's got a decent amount of territory back. He's just done with the whole idea. Instead of going back to Antioch, Hugh gives up and returns home. And yes, he's really killed for the rest of his life for abandoning the crusade. Raymond, Godfrey, Tancred, and the Roberts eventually just give up dealing with Beaumont and they head south towards Jerusalem. Then there's talks, apparently hungry crusaders got so desperate for food that they had to eat the dead Turks that they fought in the Battle of Marat. This is unconfirmed. There are just stories being told. But for all we know, it could definitely a bit of cannibalism could have happened. But you know, Controversial. Once, we, once we take back Jerusalem, we'll be we'll be absolved, my friends. It's gonna be fine. It's gonna be yeah. fine. It's all fine. By January 1099, they're on their way to Jerusalem, and surprisingly, the way through the Levant is easy because by then the Seljuk Turks realized, oh, they're not trying; they're no longer trying to invade us. They're going for Jerusalem. Well, Jerusalem's under Fatimid control. And the Seljuks and the Fatimids were actually at war with each other because of the split in Islam between Sunni and Shia. <laughs> one group was Sunni and one group was Shia. So they're like, yeah, we don't like the Fatimids that much. So instead of having them plunder through the cities, they would actually willingly give gold and supplies to the Crusaders in exchange for them not killing them and not plundering the cities. So they just marched all the way through. And it was also January. It was winter so it was easier to get through instead of hot, blistering summer. Raymond tried to take the city of Arca, but he failed. And then even with the support of the remaining Crusader force, they, they couldn't take Arca. And it's not really known why they tried to take Arca. It was not strategically significant or historically significant to take, I guess. It might have just been a ego boost. We don't know. But another, another brief thing that happened is Tancred split off and was able to take Bethlehem. But then after that, they were like, okay, no more distractions off to Jerusalem. We're almost there guys. Yeah. We're almost there. Now, unfortunately by this point, they're too dwindled down to actually form a proper siege. 
So, like, we have to, we can't siege the city. It has to be through an assault. As they're approaching Jerusalem, they find a horrifying sight. All the entire area is stripped bare of trees, and all of the wells are either filled in with rock and dirt or they're poisoned. Well, they've managed to reach Jerusalem. Raymond takes positions up on the southern wall while Godfrey and Tancred take the north. The governor of Jerusalem is named Ad-Dwala, and he was already he prepared well beforehand for the siege. Uh, he got a lot of supplies into the city, filled up the store, storage halls to their brink, also managed to raise a large defensive army, and in order to prevent something similar from Antioch, he actually kicked out all Christians from the city. So he, was, he knew what was up. He knew, he knew, he prepared. Foragers were forced to march very, very, very long distances away to, in order to gain food and water. And they were often attacked by Fatimid forces while waiting for the main Fatimid force to arrive from Egypt. So again, morale dropped to an all-time low because they, their assaults just were not working. Well, one of Raymond's priests actually claimed to have had a vision of Adamir, who was, said he was angry that the Crusaders had begun quarreling with each other, had lost their true path. And he said, you need to regain the acceptance of God. So he ordered the men to fast and to, this is, this is so funny, to have a shoeless, like a barefoot pilgrimage around a procession sorry a barefoot procession around all of jerusalem so could you imagine being a turkey like a fatimid force like looking at these barefooted soldiers marching with a cross at, at the lead all around the city could you imagine that like what's going on the fuck yeah this was successful and improved morale it saved supplies and it improved cooperation between the forces because he realized, you know what, that's exactly what Adamir would want us to do was to cooperate. So we got to better coordinate and cooperate. Some more good news arrived. Some Genoese sailors actually arrived to resupply the Crusades. Their ships were trapped by the Fatimid fleet. A messenger from the crusading force went and the Genoese said, yeah, of course, well, we're trapped. So, yeah, we will join the Crusades. And we will dismantle our ships. So they dismantled the ships. So they had plenty of lumber now to build siege walls. And what siege walls? People don't know what siege walls. They're basically they're to siege towers, rather. Siege towers are like 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 what they say. They're large towers with wheels on them, and they what they do is they just wheel up to a wall, and they have ladders on the inside so that the wood will protect crusaders mostly from arrows being shot at them. And what they do is they go inside the tower, they climb up this ladder, and then burst through an open gate at the top. It's basically similar to yeah. those amphibious assault vehicles like you see in Saving Private Ryan with the doors opening. The amphibious it's just a, landing vehicles? That's it. It's just, uh, it's just instead this is a tower on land. Raymond gets the tower, and so do Godfrey and Tancred. Well, Raymond kept his tower where it was overnight, so the Turks were prepared for them. Godfrey and Tancred knew that the or the Fatimids would be ready for them. So what they did is during the night, they dismantled their siege tower, went to a completely underdefended side of the city and rebuilt it. 
So by the time day broke, the Fatimid forces realized the tower's not here anymore. Uh-oh. They all begin an assault. Unfortunately, Raymond's tower is completely destroyed. But Godfrey and Tancred managed to break into the city. And there are, uh, there's sources that Godfrey and Tancred were the first people to jump out into the, into the city. They went ahead of all of their troops and just went charged out with the rest, rest of the men. And they just pour, crusaders poured into the city. And eventually they were able to open the gate to let Raymond's forces in. So this is why I'm saying Tancred was the best of the best, the Jon Snow, because Tancred said <laughs> he was like, yeah. can't argue with that. Tancred said um, he ordered he ordered his soldiers, you are not to slaughter civilians no matter what. And he actually managed to make it to the mosque before everyone else. Hit a bunch of the civilians into the mosque and and said, "You are you're under my protection. As long as you're, I'm with you. You will not die. We will get give you free passage." Well, he was called away to help with another part of his army, and while he was away, the other crusading forces arrived at the mosque and slaughtered everyone inside. But with that said, Jerusalem was taken, and Jerusalem was in Christian hands. So is that the end of the first crusade? Nope. Yeah, of course not. It's not. So July 1099, Raymond, Godfrey, Tancred, and the others all met in Jerusalem. And they're trying to determine who would gain control of Jerusalem. Raymond and Godfrey were considered the best candidates. Especially Raymond, he was the most experienced. He was the eldest. He was the most devoted. Well, Raymond actually turned down the offer as king of Jerusalem. He turned it down saying Christ is the king of Jerusalem. But in reality, what he was doing is just holding off until later, until everyone else would do this. He, was, he believed everyone else would turn it down as well. And then he'd be like, oh, okay, fine, I'll do it. He was trying to look modest. <laughs> well, then the crown was offered to Godfrey. And he also said, I refuse to be called the king of Jerusalem because... Christ is the king of Jerusalem, the exact same reason. But then he said, instead, I will accept rule over Jerusalem under the title, and he created the title Defender of the Holy Sepulchre. Yeah. And of course, Raymond's like, what? This was not part of his plan. This is Raymond wanted the crown. So, of course, angry, Raymond is pissed, and he takes his soldiers on a pilgrimage quote-unquote, to the River Jordan. He's basically thinking of abandoning the Crusades then and there. Fair enough. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of a dumpster fire, so it's, like... Yeah. <laughs> well, meanwhile, word that a, Fatim a large Fatimid force was on its way to retake Jerusalem, and Godfrey was tried to... He begged Raymond and Robert to rejoin the Crusade, but they're like, no. And they just brushed him off and continued their pilgrimage. Well, Tancred was still working with Godfrey. And he actually captured a bunch of Fatimid scouts near the coast. And they revealed that the Fatimids were gathering outside of a place known, of, known as Ascalon. And knowing that they did not have the, the ability to entrench Jerusalem, Godfrey said, we got to march out and meet them there before they reach here. Because there's no way we'd survive. We would not. We're not prepared for to fend off a siege, but we are prepared to deal with them on open battle. 
Godfrey and Tangred marched towards Ascalon, and meanwhile, Raymond's and Robert's forces actually nearly revolted against Raymond and Robert because they said, we're here to retake the Holy Land, and you guys aren't doing it. You're just sitting here on your asses. And then finally, both princes agreed to rejoin the Crusades in order not to be ousted by their own people. So they catch up with Godfrey and Tancred. What's interesting is that Godfrey's forces, they came across a bunch of livestock that were just scattered all over the place. And he's like, what's going on? Like, this is weird. And of course they need food. So this is a good sign. But he knew something was up. There's something in his gut that told him something was wrong. So one of the scouts, Vatimid scouts that was, uh, that was captured said, this is something that we do. We send livestock out. So people, what they'll do is they'll break up their army and scatter around to collect the livestock. And then because they're scattered, they're easy to pick off when we come in. Mm. So Godfrey's like, oh. So instead what he does is he herds them and manages to herd them into a, a one single group. So now they have a bunch of livestock that they can use to, to eat. <laughs> so there you go. Like Godfrey was lucky that he had someone there. They reached Ascalon and found that over 20,000 Fatimid troops were camped outside and out of the crusaders there were 2000 knights and 9000 infantry but the crusaders had a advantage because the fatimids were preparing for a siege not for battle on an open field and by this point the crusaders were made up of veterans they'd fought all this way to the holy land and they were well equipped to fight and well prepared to fight the crusaders camped on the other side of a hill and waited until morning at dawn, the Crusaders marched in double line towards the Fatimid camp. Raymond led the right flank, Godfrey the left, and Tancred and Robert were in the center. Well, the Fatimids awoke to the Crusaders, Crusaders charging them, and they were not—they didn't have their weapons or their armor on, and they knew this wasn't going to be. They knew it was—it was bad. This was bad. Many of the Fatimids were just completely cut down in one foul swoop. An entire. Se entire section of the Fatimids were killed. The Fatimids who survived r rushed into Ascalon, into the, into the walls of Ascalon, and they, Ascalon was absolutely terrified of pillaging, and they immediately surrendered to the Crusaders. Well, Raymond was hoping to take Ascalon for, for himself, but before he could, Godfrey said the the Fatimids are will be allowed to remain in control of Ascalon. And the reason why he did this is because he didn't want there to be competition between him and Raymond. Godfrey was pretty smart. Apparently. Godfrey was smart. Battle of Ascon was officially the last battle of the First Crusade. What happened after that? Godfrey continued as ruler of the Holy Sepulchre. I can't pronounce that. Sepulchre? I can't do it. That's fine. Um, he ruled. Uh, he eventually died. And <laughs> funny enough, Baldwin ended up being his successor. Huh. Yeah. He fucked off from the Crusades, but ended up becoming essentially the king of Jerusalem. The king of, of Jerusalem was set up. Most of the Crusaders actually went home. There were several that stayed for the rest of their lives in the Holy Land in order to protect uh, the roads and Jerusalem itself. Was this the end of the Crusades? Fuck no. Of not. We got a bunch more left. Oh, good. We won't be talking about that today, but we will be talking about them eventually. And believe me when I say this, they will not be as successful as the First Crusade. 
That's fair. Yeah. Um, anyone, anyone who's ever played Age of Empires, you'll know. The Third Crusade is a major campaign in Age of Empires. I'm a huge fan of Age of Empires, so that's kind of why I know about all that. So it's going to be fun talking about Third Crusade and the Second yeah. Crusade. I mean, so I had uh, some user feedback, kind oh, of, did I guess. We have a new um, position also. We have a roving re- or a, a radical religion roving correspondent, just so you know you're now aware. Uh, <laughs> Dr. Charlotte Naylor-Davis is a good friend of mine, actually. And she uh, reminded me of a good point regarding the Crusades and something that's kind of important to keep in mind here is that the most, the majority of the population was illiterate and would never have read a Bible. So the king and leaders were able to manipulate nationalist, re- nationalist religious feelings really easily. Um, even at the time, many priests couldn't read the Bible properly anyways. So religion was politics, and the way we see a divide is incredibly modern. So for like most of the army, they had no thought of questioning hierarchy in the way we would. So it makes the basic soldiery, soldiery in the Crusades a little bit less culpable, but also the leaders a lot more culpable. So the people who, they, you know, they sound like the leaders that were are ultimately the people we're talking about here, when they seem awful... They're probably more awful than they actually, than we're even like letting on yeah. in certain ways because they did this fairly deliberately to, um, yeah, uh, that's, manipulate that's, some people. That's something I definitely should have mentioned. Uh, there was a lot of, there was a huge language barrier between the regular forces. Mm. I mean, you had what? You had French, Italians, Germans. I mean, nor- Northern France and Southern France yeah. was even quite different. Then you had Byzantines, but, the princes could all speak to each other perfectly fine because they all spoke Latin. Oh, That's Latin. how they communicated, is yeah. they spoke Latin. Again, what did we learn from this? Um, I learned, I mean, I have, an, uh, it's, it's related to the Crusades, but like also unrelated. Uh, fun fact about the Crusades. <laughs> um, <laughs> so there's a type of soap named called Castile soap. And essentially Castile soap is 100% olive oil. So if anyone knows anything about making soap, soap is a combination of lye, water, and a fat. You can use any type of fat. It doesn't need to be vegetable fat. But Castile soap, or as it was originally known, Aleppo soap, is 100% olive olive oil, lye, and water. So the origins of Castile soap actually go back to Levant, hence Aleppo soap, where they've been making hard soaps based on olive oil for millennia. So it's commonly believed that after the or that the Crusades brought Aleppo soap to Europe in the 11th century, based on the claim that the earliest soap made in Europe was just after the Crusades. But there's some contention, I guess, because the Romans apparently knew about soap in the first century. Well, I mean, the Romans did own but, Syria at one point. Yeah, so there's a good chance they knew. But following the Crusades, production of this soap extended to the whole Mediterranean era. So the name Castile soap is, is named after a region is named after um, the Castile region of Spain. So it would make sense that they're tied together. And if anyone knows about soap, it's Lindsay. Yeah, it's kind of my jam. Do you want, do you want to plug your... <sighs> kind of. So I actually do make soap on the side, and this post, or this episode, I suppose, has uh, re-inspired me to make some Castile soap, actually. I don't know what I'm going to call it, but maybe it'll be Crusades-related. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> probably not. That seems awful. Um, Dress them up like, like, I don't know, make, uh, make it white with a red cross. Yeah, that seems terrible. <laughs> that seems terrible. I'm not going to do that. No. But anyways, it's a really interesting thing that even innate items like soap 
things we don't think about that much, we just use them. They do have historical origins, and it, they're, they're tied up in these kinds of conflicts as well. I mean, there was actually a, con- a controversy in England over this soap later on, which actually I might bring up later when we talk about <laughs> when we talk about um, when... Refor- Reformation. Oh, okay. <laughs> because it's actually kind of makes it makes it reappears. It makes an appearance. So yeah, I make soap. I'll I'll probably tell post. them tell them the name of the soap. Uh, my my soap company is is Hellion. I'll probably post a link on the Facebook page. Sorry for shameless self promoting, but no go. That's you know. why that's why I asked because I want soap. I want you to do that. Um. So yeah, there's your fun hist- soap history fact. Yeah. There'll be more probably. I just thought it was interesting when I looked up Castile soap because I. I wanted to, uh, yeah, I was I actually, the reason this actually sparked it was a Syrian uh, refugee who moved to Calgary in the last, uh, he was, he came to Calgary, he opened a so he opened his own store called Aleppo Soap, and I was curious what the difference between Aleppo Soap and Castile Soap was, and turns out they're actually the same thing, Castile Soap, or they're basically the same thing, <laughs> <laughs> and turns out they have a similar, or they're their history is tied up in things like the Crusades. So since I was sort of un- underprepared for this episode, I thought that I would at least bring that fun fact yeah, to the that's, table. That's, uh, yeah, that's a great thing. Just uh, we're, I'm going to run through a couple of small facts that we didn't talk about. Uh, one of the funny things is, uh, yeah, Spain was under Muslim rule. Sort of the same people that were controlling Jerusalem, but a different. It's confusing the way to explain the, the Muslim kingdoms. They were related, but they were not the same kingdom. They're under Muslim rule, and many Spanish Christians wanted to join the Crusades, and Urban had to convince them not to join and continue their fight against the Muslims in Iberia. It took a lot of convincing, though, because he he was certain that had a bunch of the Christians from Spain joined the Crusade, then it would have left southern France open to be attacked again, because the Muslims did try to invade France, but they were beaten back at the Battle of Tours in 700, never made it past that, and were beaten back into Iberia. But we will be discussing that, because that's actually a very fucking fascinating topic. Is, I uh, think we're, we're going to take a break from the Crusades for a bit. Oh, of course, we're going to take, yeah. yeah. We're going to, um, next next episode. We're not, we're not doing Crusades, just like, we're not going to do no, all the Crusades in a row, that's too much. No, no, that's too much for us, and it's, I'm sure it's too much for most of you guys. But mostly it's too much for yeah. us, and that's the important part, just kidding. Yeah, we'll be talking about, we'll be going back into modern history, uh, not next episode, but next well, couple of episodes. Kind of modern, next episode. Kinda. Yeah, next episode is uh, Lindsay's gonna, Taking the Realm. I'm going to exercise my... My new, my newly uh, minted master's degree in philosophy, and learn you some some things about. Uh, <laughs> learn you. <laughs> learn you. We're gonna learn some shit about uh, the origins of Western philosophy or philosophy as everyone actually knows it, if you know anything about it. Um, so yeah, there's gonna be a lot of a lot of philosophy puns, and Yay. some discussions of oh shut up Jonah, and some discussions of evil demons and uh, Rene Descartes. So. Stay tuned. It's going to get real nerdy, probably a little awkward, but mostly it'll be really punny and awesome. Yeah, this is going to be uh, our way of branching out so we're not talking solely about political history and military history. Yeah, because, I mean, there's a lot more to talk about than just that. I Because my, my background is mainly in philosophy, I'm interested in like the history of ideas and things like that, so this is a really good way to, to discuss it. And it just so happens that... Western philosophy as we know it originated kind of in the scientific 
revolution period, so also gonna talk about that, which is really important, especially just given how science is viewed nowadays mm. anyway. So yeah, I will, uh, yeah, be prepared, take notes. Again, there will be quiz. It'll, it'll be interesting. You laugh, but I'm not kidding. I know, you know. <laughs> it'll, be, it'll be interesting. I'm looking forward to it because, just because it's, it's just like nice different. to change it up, yeah. Yeah, I've, no, I don't, I, I don't know a lot about philosophy. I know a lot about political ideology, but... Yeah, which, I mean, it, it comes up for sure, uh, especially because, like, philosophers are a lot more versatile than people think. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, especially in history, um, you know, people like... I'll just bring this up now, I guess, but it'll come up again. Like, people like Rene Descartes are equally as famous for being philosophers as they are for being mathematicians. Right. And uh, John Locke is equally as famous for his thoughts on politics as his thoughts on, like, metaphysics and our existence. So, you know, philosophers, especially at the beginning there, kind of the beginning of that period, were kind of jacks of all trades. So, yeah, we'll uh, we'll talk about that a little more. And you'll probably learn that philosophers have impacted your life more than you thought. Oh, absolutely. You're welcome. They definitely have. <laughs> they definitely deserve more credit than they got. I agree. Um, Give me credit. No. <laughs> so that's a bit, a bit of in store what we got for not next week, but next episode. Um, we didn't have time to do this last episode because we just went way over fucking time. But we kind of do it. Uh, we're going to do every so often we're going to do something interesting we learned during the week. Just random. doesn't have to be about what we're talking about. Just random. anything, anything random. Did you, uh, you learn any new facts this week? I did, actually. So <laughs> this is really random. So when you're when you make beer, people dry hop a beer in order to... Um, add hop flavor without necessarily increasing the bitterness. So there's three um, three numbers you get with a beer, uh, or well, at least two, anyways. But three. So when you when you like are at somewhere and you see a beer menu, you'll see the ABV and you'll see an IBU. And so the ABV is the alcohol percentage, and IBU is the uh, international bitterness unit. So basically, it's a measure of how bitter it is. The higher the number, the more bitter. So a lot of beers tend to be dry hopped in order to give hop flavor without necessarily increasing the bitterness. But what I learned is that um, it actually does increase the bitterness. There's just like the ways that we measure IBU don't catch it. Mm-hmm. So that's what I learned. I don't know a lot about it, but um, I'm learning a lot more working where I work. So <laughs> <laughs> sure. I work at two breweries. It's yeah. a thing. Um, I have a boozy career path. <laughs> uh, what about you? Mine's not that interesting, but it's kind of, I think it's funny, the 10th uh, largest pyramid, 10th tallest pyramid in the in the world, I should say, uh, is the Bass Pro Shop in Memphis. What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the claim to fame for the Memphis pyramid. It is the 10th tallest pyramid in the world and is, is now a Bass Pro Shop. Okay, then. It was almost demolished because they couldn't find a buyer and then Bass Pro's like, oh, we'll buy it. And now it's a Bass Pro Shop. So, fun facts with Jonah and Lindsay. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Kayla. Because um, I, I told her, my friend lives in Tennessee, and I told her that fact. And I was like, did you know that the, that the like, did you know this? And she's like, yes. Yes, I, I feel did. like it's probably something they all know, because that's the only thing that they claim is fake famous. Well, well not the only thing, but no, like, you know. I mean, Elvis, is, Elvis lived there. Graceland is there. I don't know. Memphis seems like a cool town. I'm sure we'll talk a bit about it when we eventually get into 
the whole Confederate States of America. Oh, boy. Yeah, the Civil War. Oh, man. How many episodes do you think that's going to be? Three, like three. Four? Three yeah. to five. Weird. Might be a little intense. I yeah. feel like five might be too many. We can probably condense it to three or four. Well, I we were talking. We, we, Lindsay and I have been talking. We're excited when we eventually talk about the, the Vietnam War. Oh, boy. And we're like, holy fuck. It's going to be like 10 episodes or something like it's that. It's going to be like... As long as Ken Burns' amazing documentary, which is now on Netflix, by the way. Yeah. Um, yeah which is a solid 17 hours of content. Ours will probably be like a lot more awkward and maybe less informative, yeah. but still awesome. Ken Burns is definitely the most informative documentary about the Vietnam War. I would, I would say the yeah, most. Yeah, I would argue that. I mean, to be fair, most of the documentaries he does are kind of the most informative on any subject. Yeah. We like, like today. Or, yeah, like, these episodes, we're split into two. We're going to end up doing that a lot more, especially with uh, the Korean War. We do apologize about that. That was mostly my fault. I didn't realize how expansive it would be. I talked way too fucking much about Europe. Eh. Um, I feel like that happens a lot concerning Europe. We it talk does. a lot too much about Europe. Well, especially with the Cold War. I mean, it's... It, well, it was a pilot episode. We'll just... We'll just leave it... We'll leave it at leave that. It there. But, um, so far, all I've heard is good things from you guys. We're... Very much appreciated. And, like, please keep talking to us. We uh, actually really enjoy getting feedback, especially on Facebook. Um, And I imagine we'll probably open up some other social media accounts as we go. Uh, For now, though, definitely please keep interacting, whether you're just, you know us and you're texting us or you find us on Facebook or if you can leave comments anywhere else, please do. Um, We really... We really appreciate the feedback. It helps us get better and it helps make things more interesting for you. So it's really in your best interest to talk to us. And we want to know what you guys want to learn about. That too. We don't want to be dictating what we teach you. So if, No. I mean, yeah, we, we appreciate having having input. It'll, um, it'll only be on very certain circumstances that we will have set. Times for things. Yeah, when, when we talk about something. Right now we have a list of things we want to talk about, but it doesn't matter when they happen. So there's a, But there's a few that, that are they need to be timed properly. So with those exceptions, um, yeah, we're happy to get feedback and hear what you guys want to learn about. And uh, please tell your friends about this if, if you're liking what you're hearing and you know someone else who might. Please share. Yeah, we definitely love uh, participation. I mean, the, the poll that we did. Thanks for voting for the Crusades and not the Fall of the Empire. Oh my god, thank you so much. Yeah. Well, it wouldn't have been the fall. We would have figured something out, but yeah. We, I mean, people fall, just love mm, medieval history, so. Which personally makes no sense to me, but I mean, I get it. Well, it was broken. It, it, it literally went from one poll. It was a tie between three. And I was like, okay, well, this isn't working. So I did another poll and there was a tie between five. And I was like, oh, fuck. And then Megs had her people on our Twitch account go and vote and it ended up just overwhelmingly like pretty substantial well not overwhelmingly but it ended up being medieval times and I'm actually really glad that it was I mean as much as yeah I mean as much as I kind of complain um it is interesting the thing about what we're doing here is I'm personally doing it in, in a way to learn as well I I don't know a lot about these things, so taking the time to do the research is, is useful to me and and my personal growth. It's not like we're just choosing things we know lots about all the time. We are sometimes, but we're both doing research and learning, and it's kind of part of the point of Panastory, at least for me anyways, is just to be yeah. able to exercise my my academic brain and also use this as a way to like help inform people but keep it like fun and use the internet for something interesting instead of bullshit memes. 
I mean, we do love bullshit memes. And we also do love cat videos. So anyone who says, like, <laughs> what about cat videos? We like them too. The point is, we're trying to make the internet a little bit more informative because alternative facts suck. Yeah. And I'm also, not... like we mentioned in the, at the end of the last episode, you know, nothing, nothing happens in a vacuum. So things that are happening now definitely are directly related to things that have happened in the past. So There is definitely truth to the butterfly effect. Yeah. Um, all uh, actions will ripple through time. It can either be a good thing or it can be a bad thing. I mean, for bad things, I mean, like we mentioned before, there's still a lot of issues in the Middle East. But, I mean, in other terms, we'll find out that there'll actually be positive consequences that ripple through. But we'll get into that when, when it comes. So, we'll get to it when we get to it. So yeah. for now, enjoy. And uh, again, yeah, please keep talking to us. We like it. We're not lonely. It's fine. No. This is fine. And once again, reminding you, uh, we're going to be launching the Patreon account soon. Do have a look at that. There will be a link on the Panastoria page on Facebook. Yeah, just, again, let us know what you guys think of the First Crusades and the Peasants' Crusade. Just, we want to know, was it informative? Was it what you're expecting? And what Do you never you... want us to do it again? Yeah. You know. Do you want us to... Uh, and well, especially what what are you guys interested in learning about next? Yeah. So, anyway, tune in next episode: the history of philo Western philosophy. Western philosophy. Kinda, it's gonna be not quite that expensive, but yes. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, just an overview of that. Um, we're that's gonna be. I'm gonna look forward to that. Lindsay's gonna be taking the rain. Uh, what, what's the proper term? Gonna be taking the wheel. I guess for that, um, which is Jesus, take the wheel. No. Yeah, I don't. Help. I don't know much about philosophy, but th that's why I. I'm happy to learn about it. But anyway, enough of, of us babbling on. That's pretty decent. Unless time you want more end. of that, but we won't know until you tell yeah, us. Yeah, we definitely please. That's what we, we really need to emphasize. Please talk to us um, when we post stuff. We sound real desperate right now. We do, but it's just like I, I know people are listening to the podcast. We're just not getting a lot of feedback. Uh, feedback. And we'd love to hear your feedback. And yeah, please stay tuned on Facebook because there's going to be some opportunities to engage with us even more so absolutely yeah so thank you very much guys this is uh jonah signing off i'm lindsay thanks guys have a good one <laughs>